Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am so delighted that you are here. This is an episode that I have wanted to do for a very long time. And thankfully, the universe has aligned to bring my special guest to chat with me today. Um, We are going to talk about dogs, babies, dogs, kids. It's a big deal. And Michelle specializes it. So do you want to just introduce yourself for listeners? Tell them a little bit about you, how you help dog guardians. I would love to. First of all, thank you. And I know scheduling this was a logistical nightmare and (laughs) we're both persistent and I love that. So thank you, first of all, for having me. The more people we can reach to help families together feel good with their dogs and not feel guilty and like terrible parents, the better. And so that's really what my job is. I mean, I see my job as kind of a parent coach. I mean, I feel like I should be a therapist, but I'm not a therapist, but I I am a mom. I was a teacher for 16 years. I am a certified professional dog trainer and a family dog mediator. And I see my role as to be a a parent support person um, because overwhelm as a parent is real. And when you throw a dog into the mix, it takes things to a whole new level. And there's a lot at stake when you're raising dogs and kids or dogs and babies at the same time. Now I should say, um, from a parenting perspective, I have one biological child and one adopted child. And I feel like nobody ever talks to parents who have adopted children, but I will talk to you if you have adopted children, because I did too. And whether you are birthing one or adopting one or fostering children, I help a lot of people who foster kids and you have a dog at home. It doesn't matter where the child is coming from. What matters is, is that we take proactive steps to help our dog get comfortable with the impending changes that are about to happen. And so I have some online courses and a membership for parents and some other stuff that we'll talk about later, but um, I'm here for you if you're a parent. So that's the intro. I hope that worked. That was so good. I love it so much. Well, and I think like, you know, obviously in my career, I've supported a lot of clients, like as they had babies come in, but I think, you know, I am not a a human mother, right? I, I don't really have that expertise. So I love so much that you specialize in this and you can bring like all of your experience with humans and your children and teaching other humans. Like, I feel like that's such an essential skill set. Like, obviously you're certified, which is so beautiful. You understand dog training and all of that, but yeah, I think that there's so much more here than training dogs. And in fact, I'm sure there probably, it isn't as much like training as like managing human expectations and putting like literal management in place. Yeah. Expectations, expectations excuse me, expectations are like the bulk of it. And I think mindset is a huge piece that we all fantasize about having our dogs and kids grow up to be best friends. And, but the problem is, is that because of social media posts that we may see that are fairly inappropriate or that are extraordinarily inappropriate, where somebody like leans their newborn baby onto their dog, um, that if those posts have likes and shares on them that we think, oh, I should be doing that with my baby and dog. But The problem is, is that if you don't know what you don't know, and you don't recognize how to read a dog's discomfort, for example, then you're putting your newborn baby at 
major significant risk, even if something that's completely an accident. So let's say you're leaning your dog, your baby on your dog and your dog has an itch and goes to scratch itself and the baby's head flunks to the floor, like, or whatever. I, I just think that there could be innocent mistakes and there can be intentional, um, teeth on skin. And, and it's intentional because the dog is saying, nobody's listening to me and I better amp up the message that I'm sending. And maybe the message I'm sending involves teeth. And I, you know, I recently took a a course on aggression from Michael Shikashio, who's like, oh, such a generous, amazing guy. But he told a story in his master course about a child who died because a dog nipped the child. Now, this was not a mauling. This was not an an aggravated assault by any stretch, but the dog um, responded and it happened to nick an artery in the child and the child bled out. And I, I mean, you know, yay, what a happy way to start this podcast. But the reason I'm telling you this story is because I am tired of beating around the bush and I'm tired of people just assuming everything's going to be fine. If I turn my head for a minute and go to the bathroom or go on my phone or make dinner without taking adequate precautions. And I am going to give you all the love I have and all the support I have and compassion. And I can't tell you how many clients just cry with me or talk with me about like just their feelings of inadequacy or overwhelm. And I just, you know, I talk and I listen, I validate their feelings. And then I say, okay, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to, are we going to teach your dog some skills or are we going to teach you some skills or are we going to decide actually that maybe this dog really is unhappy in this family and would be so happy living in a child-free home. And it's sad and frustrating that a lot of my calls with clients, I do all video consults. So I have clients all over the world that, that a lot of the time I'm coaching families on making really big, big intimidating decisions That wasn't my intention, but what I want is for parents to feel confident and for parents to feel like they can enjoy living in their house again and not like dreading coming home because now they have to juggle kids and dogs. It's too hard. Well, and I think like what parents, right, human parents and dog guardians stand to gain from like those proactive measures is that hopefully it doesn't have to come to this like is it safe for this dog to live here? Right. Because in my experience, so many of my clients, their dog was their first baby. Yes. Right. And they're so emotionally invested and attached to making things work. But if you aren't taking proactive measures, you can only backpedal so far sometimes. Right. And I think that, you know, to circle back to your point about social media, I think that, you know, social media gives us a really unfair lens on dogs who are ridiculously tolerant and we can give them all the credit and people did nothing about it. Right. And I think that, you know, we have to remember that like, there's a lot at stake here, right? A child's life, a dog's life. And if we can't put proactive measures into place to keep everyone safe, there's a lot to be lost. And I think like, I can only imagine that like, being pregnant, birthing a child, bringing the child home, that is stressful enough. Like, why would we not just proactively put some measures into place so that like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I know that a lot of parents, like, you know, in the kerfuffle of birthing, sometimes we're like, wait a minute, what are we going to do with the dog? The dog can't come to the hospital, right? Like, I think that taking these proactive measures can just make everyone's life so much easier. 
I agree. I mean, they're, like you said, the stakes are so high. And for a lot of people, the dog was their first baby and they love that dog with their heart and soul. And they sometimes consider that dog, their child or whatever. Fine. You know, I understand you, you're going to learn a lot of parenting skills because of the relationship you had with your dog. You're going to learn about patience and uh, flexibility and how, you know, using kindness works better than being punitive. Like all that stuff is so important when you have a dog and you're learning those things, but then all of a sudden you birth this creature and you can't believe the hospital is going to send you home with it or adopt one, you know, at least I have to say, at least with adoption, you have a social worker who is involved with, I don't know. I feel like you get almost more support when you're adopting a kid than you do when you're birthing one, which is really odd. I think there should be support all around, but here's the one thing that I think is, is just is wacky. And I apologize for my dog. She is upset because I brought a brand new foster dog home and she's 13 she's and a half. To have feelings too. <laughs> she's having some feelings. She's an old lady who has opinions. So anyway, so I apologize, but we're keeping it real here. Um, what I was going to say is it is totally normal for an adopting or pregnant family to join parenting groups, to either get medical care or be proactive about, you know, who your pediatrician is going to be. Um, Maybe you're taking prenatal vitamins. Maybe you're reading parenting books. You're doing all this stuff, right? This is all totally normal, totally like traditional kind of stuff that people do when they're about to have a child or add a child to their family. You even register for gifts, right? And what I do not see and what I fantasize about, and that's why hopefully you and I can like scream this from the rooftops, is that if you've already got a dog in the house, that it is absolutely normalized to add that as a step of your preparation before your baby comes home. So I think not that doctors need any more on their plate or veterinarians on that hand, but I'm going to say, I wish every vet would ask a pregnant client are you, here's some resources to help your dog get ready for your baby, right? And on the vice versa, right? That every OBGYN or whatever, or social worker would say, do you have a dog at home? Because if you have a dog at home, here's some resources, right? I, I just think that that's an enormous missing piece that people don't even know someone like me exists. So they don't know to ask me for help ahead of time. They have no clue that this is a specialty, but it is. Right. Well, and I think sadly, there is some really bad advice out there in particular when it comes to babies and dogs, right? I have a lovely client, shout out to Erin and her dog Moose. Her veterinarian recommended a book that suggested that the dog be punished for sniffing and investigating the dog. Oh, right. Right. So like, I think that unfortunately, there's still, even if the vet supports, they may be like giving you really outdated advice too. Okay. Right? I want to, I want to shout out a book that I love. It's called, please don't bite the baby. So and, good. What a good title. Oh my God. And then I think it says, and don't bite the dog or something, but, but please don't bite the baby. If you're expecting, or if you're adopting the woman who wrote the book was adopting a child. Right. So she did it my, my other way. Right. Um, it is awesome. It has everything you need in that book. I recommend it. I have it on my Amazon list. I have it. I send it to everybody. So yes, please don't bite the baby. That is the book that that vet should be sending out to folks, not anything punitive because 
I mean, that's like the exact opposite of what we want to be doing, right? What we want to be doing is we want to reward the dog for every positive interaction with that baby, no matter what it is. We even want to be rewarding calm behavior. We want to reward the dog for doing absolutely nothing. So if your baby is having a full on screaming fit, because God forbid it has colic or it, you know, is not feeling well, or it's a toddler and it has big feelings, whatever. We want to be giving our dog cookie, like jackpot just for hanging out and not freaking out because the kid is freaking out, right? Like, I just want positive associations every way, shape, and form. The kid runs across the room and the dog doesn't chase it, cookie jackpot, right? All of those things. There's so many ways that we can help our dogs to practice being civilized family members. And that's what we want, right? You and I both understand that at the end of the day, we want to reward behavior. We want repeated. If we want calm behavior rewarded or repeated, we reward it, right? We calmly, you know, we put the treat between the paws and just walk away. We're like, that was awesome. You're sleeping. (laughs) Good job. When you wake up, there's a cookie right there. Like, yay. I love you. You know, you're so good. You're the best boy. right? Right. I mean, this is the thing. And people don't realize, I mean, there's of course a million other strategies, you know, and I baby gates and pens get a bad rap, but like the one thing, right. If you were going to do one thing, I would just try to make sure your dog is comfortable behind a barrier because at some point you have to turn your back. And if you turn your back, you don't have eyes on the back of your head and something bad could happen. So you've got to use barriers and separation. Sometimes I am not telling you your dog needs to be like sent off to, you know, Siberia or anything. I'm just saying we just need a little bit of separation. Sometimes because you're human and sometimes you have to sit on the toilet or you have to take a shower and you literally cannot be sitting between your dog and baby if you're on the toilet. Like it just doesn't happen. Although I do recommend you bring the dog or the baby with you while you're sitting <laughs> on the toilet because then at least the other one can, you know, operate freely. Right. Well, so, and I, I love do- this, right? Like just because I think oftentimes what happens is that like, you know, parents are busy. Maybe they don't think about the dog and then the baby comes home and then they drop the hammer. Like, okay, you can't be in this room right now. And the dog's like, excuse me, what? I've had free reign of this house my whole life. And now you brought this thing in here and I'm not allowed in the same room as you. Like, I think that that is, that can create a very uh, giant, like riff in a relationship when the dog has no idea what's happening. And then we completely change what their environment looks like without prepping them whatsoever. Right. And I think that, you know, even dogs who have experience being behind a gate being crated, when was the last time they were crated? When was the last time they were gated? Because if it's been five years, probably need to do just a little bit of like remembering like, Hey, this, this is cool. It's fine. We don't need to be stressed. Practice it the next time somebody comes over for dinner. Like it can be adults. It could be having pizza delivered to your house. It could be having Amazon come to your door. Like just practice having your dog behind a barrier for like normal, boring, mundane things. Because at the end of the day, life is mundane. Once you like get into the routine of it, it should be mundane. It should not be putting out fires left and right. It should be boring, which is the dream, right? The dream is boring, predictable. So as a family dog mediator, one of the things that we celebrate and promote all the time are predictable patterns, predictable patterns, right? So dogs thrive on predictability. And if they understand in context X, then Y happens, 
then that's going to be what's normal for them. Right. So I think that, that the second you get either your approval to adopt or your positive pregnancy test, that that is the time that you start putting these things into place where we start saying, okay, this is how we're going to do things. And this is just normal, right? Like, like, for example, um, at dinner time, you don't sit there and stare in my face. You either go on, you lay on your mat or you, whatever you go in the other room or whatever it is, but that's how we do it every night. And so, you know, like Passover, why is this night different from all other nights? Like, like we just want the same thing to, to happen as often as possible. And that's not always going to happen because things go awry, you know, when, when you are, you know, contending with, you know, dogs and kids, like stuff happens. And so having flexibility is good, but before you can have flexibility, you need a routine in the first place, because if it's pure chaos all the time, your dog is going to be so stressed out and is not going to be able to cope with all of the, the change. And you're going to be tired. I mean, there's a lot that happens where you're overwhelmed and you are not sure what you're doing. You, in fact, I guarantee it's not that you're not sure what you're doing. You doubt everything you're doing. Um, and so I, I just think it's so important that, you know, we're normalizing this, that it is going to be hard to parent kids and dogs at the same time, but gajillions of people do it. Some of them have those unicorn dogs that you were talking about, those dogs that are just the most remarkable dogs ever, but that bar is unattainable for most dogs. And so I think it's super important that we don't um, idealize what it should be, but that we focus on what it is. Like who is the dog in front of us? And that's the dog I have to work with because I could wish he were a unicorn till I was blue in the face, but if he is not a unicorn, then I have to deal with whatever it is that he is. And tolerance is the lamest bar to set because nobody should tolerate anything. Like a dog shouldn't have to put up with being poked and prodded and chased and having its ears tugged and ridden like a pony. That is absurd behavior should not be allowed to happen. Now, should your dog put up with it? Yeah, it should. Because if it's going to live in a family with kids, it should be able to handle that kind of stress, but a lot of dogs cannot. So we just have to prevent those things from happening in the first place. Well, and I think like, you know, I guess like the, the value in like having a dog already and knowing them really well is I think you can kind of foresee some of maybe like the, we'll call them rule changes that we may need to start implementing because things are going to be different when there's a child around, right? Like there are a lot of rules in my house that if there was a baby here, those rules would have to change pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But we have to acknowledge that that's going to have to happen and we have to tell the dog that right? We can't just be like, cool. So there's this baby here and you just need to know now that all of the rules have changed. Like, (laughs) excuse me, what? Like, I love that you said that though. Like, oh, right. I forgot to tell the dog. (laughs) Right. I mean, being clear communicators is really the kindest. I think Brene Brown said something about, um, about clear communication being kind and unclear communication being unkind. And it really resonated with me so much that I made a little graphic out of it because I mean, she's brilliant, but, but that's something we can understand, right? That clear is kind, unclear is unkind. How, how is your dog supposed to read your mind? They're not, we have to model that. And in addition, everything we model with our dog, our kids are watching 
everything we do. If we ask our dog not to smooch our dog on the nose, then you better not be smooching your dog on the nose where your kids can see you. And if that's something that's really important to you, then do it after your kids go to bed. Like don't just don't let them see you do it because they're going to emulate everything. If you're roughhousing, they'll roughhouse. If you pat your dog instead of gently stroking your dog, if you say no to your dog, the last thing that any parent wants, and this happens all the time, is the toddler's like, no, no, stop it, Fido. No, Fido. Mom, Fido's not listening. And you're like, oh my God, I've created a monster. And where did that monster come from? Oh, because she saw me doing it, right? So we have to really... um, We have to be clear communicators for the dog's benefit, for our child's benefit, and also for our own, because then we spare ourselves the embarrassment of having that mirror reflecting back on us of like, oh God, who am I? That's embarrassing. I don't like that. (laughs) That's what I've been doing. That's how I behave. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention, right? (laughs) Well, okay. And and I want to, I really want to hear your take on this because this is something that like I observe in different contexts, but I think that you know, a lot of people listening might be like, you know what? I have this dog. They've been around kids. They've always been fine. It's not a big deal. But I think that something that you cannot know until it's happening to you is how significantly behavior can change depending on what's happening in their environment. Right. And, you know, so tell us more about that, because I'm sure that that's something that your clients deal with a lot, right? That they think that the dog will be fine. Oh, they're unfazed, not a big deal. And these things start to happen. And like, that's actually not the truth about who the dog is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could go in a lot of different directions with this question. What I'm going to start with is a concept that you're familiar with, but maybe your listeners are not, which is called trigger stacking. So trigger stacking essentially is the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Now, Triggers, I'm going to use the word trigger to describe anything that the dog might be impacted by. Now, that could be good things. It could be bad things. It could be a day at the park, but it could be maybe while they're at the park, a dog snarked at them, or maybe the doorbell rang because the delivery guy came. Maybe there's construction and jackhammering down the street and it was garbage day, et cetera, et cetera. I think you know where I'm going with this. Now, the dog. My listeners are very familiar with trigger stacking, but I really love this this dynamic you're setting up for a dog living with a kid. So keep going. So so our dogs then, um, not to use the word tolerant, but our dogs can put up with some of those triggers, right? Before they're like, oh, I've had a terrible day or like, I don't know about you. I can speak to myself that I could be fine. And then suddenly I get really snotty and I wasn't really sure why. And then I have to check. I have to check myself. Okay. What could it be? Hormones. Maybe. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Maybe it's my hormones impacting me. They were not impacting me last week. They are impacting me this week. Maybe it's that I got a really disturbing phone call or I read on social media of a kid that got eaten by a dog or whatever. And I am triggered, right? I am, I have hit my threshold of what I can tolerate. And then I snap. Well, our dogs are the same way. Now I want you to imagine living with a youngster and we're going to say this youngster is let's say nine months old, right? So this nine month old used to be still, they used to lay on a blanket and play on the floor in one place. Now they're starting to crawl. Now, maybe they're crawling towards your dog's bed. Maybe they're crawling towards your dog's favorite toy. Maybe they're an early walker and they're walking while they push a toy that makes beeping sounds, right? Because parents buy weird toys. No offense. (laughs) I I bought weird toys too. Um, Maybe they're in a jumper thing 
and they're bouncing all over the place and it's so fun and they're giggling and they're, they're finding their voice and their voice is changing from what it used to be. Right. So maybe also they're sitting in the high chair and they're enjoying finger foods for the first time, which they try to share with the dog. And then maybe the mom snaps or dad, any parent, grandparent, whoever snaps and says, oh, don't feed the dog. Right. So there's all these noises and inputs in this house that were not there even two months ago. Right. Or a week ago, because kids at this age, they're developmentally developing. Yeah. Sorry. You're good. My brain is mush. They're developing so quickly that it's, there is so much change. And for a sensitive dog, for a fearful dog, even for a fairly resilient dog, these changes accumulate and add up over time and can cause the dog to be short tempered. They can cause the dog to be nervous, protective of their bed, their crate, their space, their toys, whatever it is. Um, Fearful dogs in particular have a really hard time once kids become mobile because suddenly they are not safe anymore, or at least that's their you know, perception, Perception, right. Um, so, so these kinds of things all really impact, um, dogs that there is constant change in the house. And so when we have predictable patterns set up, like I talked about before that, you know, every afternoon we're going to have some dog alone time, then that's a great time for your child to scoot around on the floor and play the things that might stress the dog out because the dog is already used to having their alone time every afternoon for two hours, right? Like it's a mandated quiet time or whatever it is. Um, So that's a predictable pattern, right? The predictable pattern might also be that once the baby goes to bed, that's when I play tug with my dog, that they're still going to get some of me and my attention, but when the baby is safely set aside and I can focus on the dog, right? So you, that alleviates a lot of the parent guilt, but it also helps your dog to see that pattern of if I can wait, I'm going to have my social needs met by my parents, right? And so I don't have to be obnoxious. I don't have to bark. I don't have to hit you with my foot. I don't have to get up in your face and be demanding because I know it's coming because that's a predictable pattern that I can hang my hat on. Right. Well, and I can totally like picture like some particular dogs, right? Like dogs who really thrive on being with their people, like, you know, like doodles, right? There's a reason they're so popular is because they, they make wonderful companions. And I can really see how challenging that could be for a really social dog to be like, why don't I get to be a part of this? And then kind of cue some of like the attention seeking behaviors that can build up. Right. And I think, you know, for everyone listening, you all know your dog, you were listening to this podcast because you are extraordinary dog guardian. So I think just kind of thinking about your individual dog, who they are, what do they need and, and honoring and recognizing that like you were going to have to create predictable patterns and routines that honors who they are as an individual. Yes. And I imagine that's something that's like very customizable when people work with you one on run, right. Is like acknowledging who their dog is. It's not, just a like we do everything the same for the dogs and babies because that would not even honor the dog at all yeah I mean your life is going to be pretty different if you're living with a cattle dog or a, a border collie than it would be if you were living with a great Pyrenees than it would be if you were living with a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel, right? Like there are very different sets of scenarios that we need to take the dog's behavior and genetic history into account so that we can deal with the dog that's in front of us, the one that we're living with. I have a membership for parents um, with dogs and it's sort of ongoing support. And it's like the most affordable thing that I offer. Um, And it's, 
a lot of parents find it just so comforting to just have somebody who understands kids and dogs just sort of on their shoulder. So I'm there when you need it. But then I provide monthly stuff, monthly support, right? Sometimes it's management and little training tips and games, but a lot of it is activities that we can safely do where the whole family is integrated. Because at the end of the day, you have a dog because you love your dog and you do not want to put your dog in dog jail and have them be separate from you. But on the other hand, we also have to be safe with our kids. And sometimes that just means having a pen in the corner of the family room. So we're all playing together, but there's a barrier there to prevent the dog from knocking the kid over when they have the zoomies or whatever else. Right. And sometimes little secret, sometimes we use the pen for the kid and sometimes <laughs> yeah. we use the pen for the dog. No, I'm dead serious. Like, like, I yes. had this one client, my purpose pen, right? I mean, like the one, I mean, your, your listeners can't see, but we can post a picture later. I have a pen set up right now and it is my favorite brand of pen is called Todd LaRue. And it's because it's sturdy. There's only vertical slats. So sneaky little dogs don't climb out by getting their feet in the, in the grid, right. That they can't know. Um, you know, it's not the tallest pen, but for a dog who doesn't realize they can jump, it's awesome. And it's rigid. So there's no sharp bits. And if you lean on it, it will not fall over or move. Um, but I've had, I've had clients whose kids are like super into art or super into Lego. And what they do is they put a pen around the child's workspace because then the dog can't ruin the projects that their kids are working on. And that way they can all be together and the dog can be near the child and love on them. But the child is like, my project is protected. And I feel like my mom respects me. My dad respects me because they recognize how much I care about my art. And on the other hand, the dog doesn't understand this, but we can convey it to them that if I prevent you from making a mistake, then I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm going to be able to say yes to you more than I say no, right? And that is, again, a relationship builder that if I can have positive interactions with my kids, awesome, then we trust each other. If I can have positive interactions with my dog, awesome, we can trust each other. And then that that's worth gajillions of dollars, so... Yeah. And I think like, you know, obviously this is, I think it, it comes as, as children start to age, but I think that, you know, I get called in a lot because young kids have negative associations with the dog because they're like, you know, the dog doesn't understand that I'm doing something important and they're coming in here and clobbering me. Right. And it's like, obviously the dog doesn't have malicious intentions, but we have to honor and recognize that our tiny little human beings have thoughts and feelings and values. And it's up to us to make them feel safe and have positive associations with their dogs. Right. And like, you know, I think that that's a really beautiful way to foster a relationship that I think everybody wants, right. They want their kid to grow up with this dog and have this loving relationship instead of the like, Oh my God, get the dog away from me. Right. Like cue the child screaming because the dog's approaching them. Right. And, you know, I think that that's something that we have to honor. It's not just about the dog, right? Like the kids need to feel safe and honored in their space with the dog around. They all do. I mean, that's the thing that's so important. We have to help the dog to feel safe and we have to help our kids to feel safe. I mean, I work with some families whose children are afraid of dogs um, because they, maybe they got bitten on a play date or um, something else. And, and that is a significant fear. And it can be a life altering fear that it is really hard to cope with um, 
when you're scared. Like it's, it's not a condition that anybody should have to put up with of living in fear, whether that's a dog or a child. And we owe it to everybody to build these trusting relationships. So I love what you just said. I totally. Well, and I think being able to prevent parents from resenting the dog and the dog not being able to do what they need them to do with the kid, right? Like I see that a lot, right? We're like, parents mean well, like they do love the dog, but obviously there's a hierarchy here, right? Like, you know, the child is also very important, right? And, you know, I think sometimes it just turns into this resentment, like, oh my God, dog, why are you like this? Why can't you be like this with the kid? And it's like, that's such an unfortunate situation to be in because I think the more and more resentment that builds, that's when we get to these conversations are like, cool, this dog probably can't live here anymore. Right. And it's like, you know, everyone listening right now, I know you all are doing everything in your power to prevent that. And there are obviously circumstances where that's the safest option for everyone. I'm definitely not trying to like, you know, stigmatize that at all. But I think that especially when it comes to kids and dogs, I think that it's parents kind of dropping the ball in some of those proactive measures that ultimately lead to like it, it not being great for the dog to stay there. It can be, but I do want to reframe that dropping the ball and put it in a slightly more positive light because I think the parents beat themselves up about it enough as it is. And they don't want to feel like it's entirely their fault, even when it kind of can be. Um, The way that I like to look at it is people don't know what they don't know. And if they don't know who to ask, they will continue not knowing. And that looks like dropping the ball. Right. So um, here's one example. Um, you sleep with your dog. You've always slept with your dog. Great. More power to you. I sleep with my border terrier. He's like a blast furnace, which is a problem these days, but whatever, <laughs> that's a topic for another day. Um, I, I sleep with him. So I get it. I it's a, it's a bonding time for us and it's a way that we can feel close. Um, however, if I were bringing home a new human baby to the house and having that human baby also sleep in my bedroom, big red flag, big danger zone, right? this would be a very big case of dropping the ball slash not knowing what I don't know. Right. A lot of accidents that lead to deaths of children and therefore deaths of their dog happen because when parents are asleep, they're not watching and you can't have a loose dog and a baby in the same room. You just can't do it. Like I don't have a lot of hard and fast rules, but that is one of them. And I have even gone so far I I hope it's okay that I share this little story because I think it's so cute. And it is, it's a very good example of how flexible I can be and how I try to honor my clients' needs. So I'm going to share this real quick. Um, I had a couple, they were pregnant. They were very, very pregnant. They had three pit bulls in the house who were wonderful, awesome, awesome dogs. One of the pit bulls could not be apart from its dad. Like, couldn't do it, just couldn't. The other two pit bulls, we had transitioned them into sleeping elsewhere in the house and they were fine. Give them a comfy bed, they'll sleep anywhere. Not this one, couldn't do it. And so we were really struggling because we were like, okay, dude, their plan was they had a really tiny bedroom and on the mom's side of the bed, she had just enough room to put a safe approved co-sleeper type of place. Not all of those are safe. So do your research people, don't just get something, but yeah, some of them are dangerous, but she found a good one. It was going to be next to her on the side of the bed. She wasn't going to roll on her baby. Right. But their bedroom was tiny. There was no room for a crate. There was no room for like a pen on the floor or whatever. 
And this dog did not want to leave his father's side. So he was crafty and we had him build a co-sleeper for the dog on the other side of the bed. So his side had a co-sleeper for the dog. The mom's side had a co-sleeper for the baby, but for the dad's side, because the dog was still officially loose in the room is we set up a a tether system where he put an eye bolt in a stud next to his bed. The dog had a short tether, couldn't, you know, the dog could turn around and lay down and that was all. So the dog could not get to the baby in any way. The harness was secure, blah, blah, blah. And that's how we made it work. Right. So we met everybody's needs. Um, I, I still don't recommend that. It's still not my favorite solution. Honestly, I often recommend that couples sleep apart if they insist someone sleeps with the dog. So what I do is I say, okay, then take turns. You sleep with the baby in one room. Some nights you sleep with the dog in your bed the other nights and you can take turns. That seems to be really acceptable for a lot of people because they don't want to be told you can't sleep with your dog in your bed anymore because I'm not going to rob somebody of that heart time, that loving like snuggle time that they have with their dog. Cause once the day starts, you're too busy to do that and, ha- and have that bonding activity. So little story, but it just sort of shows like there are some hard and fast rules in my opinion that I have to stick with like for my conscience and to feel like I'm not setting someone up for a really dangerous mistake. I have some other podcast episodes. It's called the pooch parenting podcast. One of the early ones, I shared a really horrible story that was in the news about something related to sleep. I don't want to talk about it because I'll cry, but um, yeah. I, yeah. so there's a podcast episode about that as a cautionary tale, but there are ways around it. And I like to be flexible. Yeah. And I think just to reiterate for everyone listening, the data is very clear. Children are one of the biggest victims of dog bites, way more than human, like adult people are mm-hmm. right. So like you know, I think that from the outside, people might be like, is it really that big of a deal? Yes, it is. There is a lot of data and we understand a lot that like, you know, it's usually kids and their own dog while the parent is supervising because they just, you know, like you're, yep. like you're saying, you don't know what you don't know, right? It's a known dog. Yep. Most of the bites are by a known dog. Yep. And most of them happen actually to children between the ages of uh, five and nine five and seven, five and nine, because by then the parents let their guard down. They think their kids can make good choices and they can't. Right. (laughs) And, um, you know, you think things are fine and you think your dog has gotten used to it by then, but that's also an age where kids like to experiment and see what they can get away with. And, um, it, it's not always good. Those bites usually result to the fed, the, the head, face and neck as well, uh, because that's on that level. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's not something that you should just hope for the best. I, I, I think that, um, asking for help is the best thing you could do. It's a gift. You could spare your dog's life, spare your child's life, prevent somebody from being afraid or needing surgery or any, any of those things. And also just peace of mind. Like, Oh my God, I was going to say like, even if nothing of like, yeah. Even if nothing bad happens, don't you just want to know you're okay. And you're making good choices. Like, I feel like parenting is so hard and everything you do is like, hope this works, hope that works, hope this doesn't backfire. But, you know, having a coach, like that's what my membership is for that, like just to have somebody like every week I have a and a like you have a question, ask me. I love it. We also celebrate our wins. And sometimes our wins are as lame as like my kid used the toilet for the first time, right? That's not lame, but it's not dog related, but we don't care because it's still a win. 
right? But sometimes for me, one of my recent wins was I got to go to a restaurant without my dog because he has separation issues. So that was a big win. And it helps my members to know that I am right in the trenches with them. I mean, my kids are in college, so I'm not living with kids at the moment, but I'm still living through the dog side of things and I bring home fosters. And so I know exactly what they're going through. Um, It just helps to have a coach. It just helps to like, know you're not alone and know there's other parents who want to be good dog families while they're raising children. Like they want to honor that dog and not mess up. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. I love that you exist and you support people in that way. Okay. So before we wrap it up and we tell everyone how they can connect with you, I want to just talk about this because I know you posted this on Instagram a while ago, but there's this big fallacy, right? Like bring the baby blanket home for the dog (laughs) to smell. Can you just touch on that for a second for everyone? listening? Yes. Yes. So that is like the most common piece of advice. Everybody gives it bring home the blanket. Okay. Let's first address, is this dangerous? Eh, maybe. Here's how it could be dangerous. Let me just put it out there. So here is, here is a scenario. Um, let's say dad, John, comes home from the hospital. Mom is still in the hospital with the baby. Dad brings home a blanket. John is tired. He lets the dog out to go potty, feeds the dog, gives the dog some love. But he is tired. He doesn't have much bandwidth, and he needs to hurry back and go to the hospital. So he puts the blanket down, says, here, dog here's the smell of the baby, deal with it. I'll see you soon. And John goes back to the hospital. Okay. Now, while John is back at the hospital and the dog is bored to death, the dog may think that this blanket is a new toy. The dog may think it's his new bed. He may lay on it. He may chew it up. He may shred it. Now, when they, when John brings home the actual baby, that smell may be associated with a new toy or a new bed. And we don't want the dog to lay on the baby, obviously. And we don't want the dog to think that any other blanket is something it can shred because the baby might be wrapped in it. Right. So obviously, okay. So that is the potential danger. Now, is it always going to be helpful even? Well, not necessarily again there either, because for things to be effective for dogs, um, behavior change, right? So what we want to do is we want to make a positive association with the new item. So ideally, John would have to spend some time and energy saying, smell the blanket. Here's a cookie. Smell the blanket. Here's a cookie. Smell the blanket. Here's a cookie, right? And so if we're not able, if John isn't able to do that, then the dog isn't learning that, that that smell has anything good to happen anyway. And there is also the risk, although it's a small one, that the dog finds the smell offensive and does not have a good association with it. Like I joke that I, you know, I haven't, my son is 19 and I kind of joke that like, I never asked to smell his friend's socks before they come to my house because I might decide that I dislike my son's friends just based on the smell of their socks. Right? Like, So we can't just make an assumption just because you smell this thing means you're going to like the creature that the smell came from. Not only that, there is some evidence to suggest that a mother is leaking tiny bits of amniotic fluid, like leading up to her birth. And therefore the dog has been smelling the baby this whole time anyways. Right. So, um, and also, frankly, if John is going to come home and feed the dog, John already smells like the baby because he was just in the hospital holding the baby. So we are not giving the dog's nose enough credit, right? Like, yeah. So why don't we just have John come home and love on his dog? And that's associated with the smell of the baby. 
Um, if you, if it really makes you feel good to do it, then bring it home, put it on the top of the highest bookshelf in the house and leave. Then it's not a danger. There's no risk. The smell permeates the house, but nothing bad can happen. It's just a new thing. Like you brought home a new piece of furniture or a new lamp from a store. It's like a new thing in the house. That's just how it is. Um, but it's not, it's not going to make or break a relationship. It's just a new thing that is living here now. So, oh my God. okay. So Michelle, can you tell everyone just a little bit more? Okay. So you mentioned the membership. Can yes. you just share with the listeners a little bit more how you can support them if they are expecting? Yes. yes. So I've got several resources and I, I can hit all your budgets, right? So for people who need something affordable, you can still work with me no matter what. So the membership is called the Pooch Parenting Society, and you can get to that at safekidsanddogs.com. That's for kids or babies or anybody. I've had pregnant people join. I've had people with tweens join. Okay. So that's safekidsanddogs.com. I have a couple of online classes. One of them is called preparing dog for new baby. Also very affordable. I have an on-demand workshop called your first week home with dog and baby. That one answers the question of like, how do you introduce them and that like safe sleep and stuff? Like, how do I actually bring the baby home? Right. So that, so the two of them together, are like the dream, right. Um, I have, a, once the baby starts growing up a little bit, I have an online class called parenting toddlers and dogs because toddlers are unique little creatures. And I say that with love, but yes. they're, they're like aliens. So that's important. Um, and then I, I do consults. So if somebody wants to work with me, we always start with a consult. I call it a jumpstart consult where we learn about what you're struggling with and what you're going through. And we figure out how I can help you. And then sometimes that's all we need, but then oftentimes we need a package. And I have one of those too. Um, that's my most expensive thing, but it is my most thorough thing. So it's you know, 10 sessions with me. They're 30 minutes each because parents are busy. It also includes three months of my membership. So it's, it's just, it's a nice package that will get you from point A to point B with a coach on your shoulder. Um, so those are the ways that you can work with me. And my website is poochparenting.net and it has all the things. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. And then you have a podcast that you mentioned the pooch parenting podcast. Yes. The pooch parenting podcast. And if you go to my website, um, in the top of the bar, there's a menu item that says free resources and the podcast is listed there as one of those. So you can get to all of the things, including the membership all through my main website, um, which is pooch parenting. And then I'm on Facebook and Instagram pooch parenting, both of those places, but Facebook is more my jam. I mean, I do Instagram cause I have to, but I just like that. We can talk together more and engage together more a little bit on Facebook, but I'm old. So Facebook <laughs> is, I guess, more my comfort zone. Cause I'm an old lady. So there you go. I love it. Oh my God, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. I know my listeners are going to get so much value out of this. So everyone, if you're expecting a baby work with Michelle, she got you. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. Let's be honest, some dogs just need an opportunity to run around off-leash so that it's easier to live with them. The only caveat to that is that not all dogs are trustworthy off-leash. That is why I created my 21-day recall training program, Trustworthy Recalls. I give you the exact framework that I use to get Wayland's recall to almost 100% reliability. As an added bonus in Trustworthy Recalls, we've also just added a whistle recall training plan. 
So whether you need to train a verbal cue or a whistle recall, we got you in our 21-day training program, Trustworthy Recalls. Link to that is in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.